All right. Uh, we, last week, we finished up um, John 16 in our series on John. Today, we're taking a short rabbit trail. Um, short. I don't know if that's a good word. Today, we're taking a rabbit trail, uh, and then uh, hopefully next week, we'll get into John 17, unless I find another rabbit trail I want to go on, but uh, we'll get into John 17 as Jesus begins to pray. But we've learned so much along the way. I mean, people have told me, you know, I've loved this series. I've loved what we've been doing in 13, 14, 15, 16. And, and I tell people it's wrecked me. I mean, it just, I study over the weeks and God just, just wrecks me in a, in a good way, but sometimes it's a hard way, you know, and, and, uh, this story kind of springs off of it. We're going to look at two scripture passages tonight. I'm going to get to them as we work through this. But, you know, in the book of John, Jesus, in, those, in his last sermon, as it were, is teaching the disciples, this is how you're going to change the world. And he emphasizes all the most important aspects of changing the world. You know, he talks to them about serving. He talks all these things. He, he stresses more than once the importance of the Holy Spirit in all of this. And, and I think about that, like, how are we going to change the world? It's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for us. And today I want to look at two examples of people's hearts being changed in Scripture that I think are good for us, are applicable for us, because Jesus talked a lot about money and, pos- and possessions and how they can grip a person's heart, how they can own a heart. And we need to address this in our own lives, right? Because here's what happens. I mean, and it, having what we need, being able to have things in an abundant way in the United States, the problem with that, what it does is, is it, it crushes thankfulness because you begin to expect it. I don't think anybody here today is gonna go home and go, we get to have lunch? Oh, thank you, Jesus, right? I mean, we give thanks for the meal all the time. We, we'll do it here. We'll give thanks when we have the chili cook-off. We'll pray that God will protect our stomachs, right? We'll give thanks for the meal, but it's not like we're surprised. And this is the problem, because you think about it, we take for granted a whole lot of things that people all over the world would be incredibly thankful for. They'd be incredibly thankful for. And, and you know, have you ever noticed with your children when they're little, they can be very much, they, oftentimes they can be very thankful over even the littlest of things. When, when my kids were real little, well, I remember one time I went to the grocery store. I just told them, I'm going to run to the grocery store, pick up some things, had a little list. I went and I picked up some things. So I come in with like three or four bags of groceries and they were and they're like, Daddy's home. What did you get us? What? I said, I got you something special. Right? And they're like, I said to myself, what would Holly want? And I pulled out a jug. Milk. I got milk for Holly. And she's like, milk for me. Yay. And I said, what would Derek want? And I pulled out, honey nut Cheerios for Derek. And he's like, honey nut Cheerios. Honey nut. He's Mark. And Reagan was like so tiny. I said, what would Reagan want? I said, Reagan would want bread. And she sees them, you know, so she goes, bread. Like it's an offering at the idol, you know, bread, bread. And I said, take that to mommy in the kitchen. And they're marching in the house. Milk, you know, Cheerios, bread. Like that. So excited. 
And, uh, and so they came back and we repeated it a couple of times, you know, grape jelly, woohoo, right? And what do we do? What do we do? In some way, and we don't mean to, we educate that right out of our kids to where they're like, wait, this is what we're having? I don't like this, or this isn't what I want, this whatever. We lose, and, and we do it too. It's easy to blame our kids. I'm quick at blaming my kids. We lose our capacity to be truly thankful for things because we take them for granted. That's what, that's what possessions, that's what money does. And we're gonna look at two people who struggled with that today. Two guys, very different stories, but ultimately the same thing is being taught. We're gonna talk about um, one, Naaman. This is from the book of 2 Kings. Naaman is a man, he was the head of the armies of Syria. Syria was on the border of Israel. Syria often had incursions into Israel to capture stuff, take slaves, whatever. This man was the head of all the armies. He would be the equivalent to, say, a prime minister, uh, maybe in England or something like that. He was the number two person in the whole land. Great warrior. You don't become the head of the armies without being a great warrior. Probably a really big guy, you know. And he gets leprosy. And it totally changes his life. That's the first guy we're going to talk about. Second guy we're going to talk about, we've talked about before, Zacchaeus, that wee little man, right, from the song. He's the opposite of Naaman in every way. He's a small guy. He's a tax collector. And you know what that, that means he's a traitor to the nation of Israel. He is hated. He collaborates with an occupying colonial power. And in reality, he's probably an extortioner and he probably shakes people down. That's how it worked back then and still does in some ways today, all right? He's not on a quest for Jesus. He's just a little curious. They both have money, they both meet God and their relationship with their money and their career totally changes, all right? And we will see God's grace and how it works in their lives, in their possessions, in everything, all right? So the first thing I want you to see is I want to find the message. Message, please. Uh, I'm pushing message, and I'm Oh, I just had to scroll. Sorry. Electricity is the bane of my existence. Okay, heart change. That's what we're talking about, the power of grace. I want you to see how money owns the heart. And we could say things, possessions, whatever. Because here's the irony of these two texts we're going to look at. And we're getting to them. Don't get... The irony of these two texts is we have two wealthy guys and wealth is supposed to get us in. Wealth is supposed to get us into on the inside. Wealth is supposed to be what gives us meaning and purpose and gets us with the people we want to be with, right? Years ago, there was a, a, big, uh, a big scandal uh, that some people who are wealthy donors, it, because they gave a certain amount, they got to spend the night in the Lincoln bedroom in the White House. And, and, and everybody was up in arms. And you know what? What hit me was I was like, we're surprised by this? You're like, oh my goodness, politicians are doing favors for accepting money? Who heard of such a thing? That never happens, right? Everybody went crazy. And I was like, uh, I think we all shouldn't have known this was coming, right? And that's what everybody said, oh, money shouldn't be able to do that for you. But you know what? It does. Think about it. If you have average grades, 
average or below average SATs, you do not have a shot at getting into Harvard or Yale or Princeton, right? I mean, you just don't have a shot. So how do people who have average or below average SATs get into Harvard and Yale and Princeton? It's because their last name is on one of the buildings on campus, right? Somebody was a big donor and they're in, they're in. Big donors, family wealth, that gets you in. But here are two people who didn't get in. They're outsiders, Naaman. He may have been in, but he became a leper. And what happens when a person becomes a leper? We can't go into too much detail, but what happens is you are ostracized. You have to stand a certain distance from everybody. Now that's, Israel was really strong about that, but even in the rest of the world, it was very similar. He may have still had his position, his title. He may have still been the commander of the armies, but nobody got within 10 feet of him. Nobody shook his hand. Nobody gave him a hug. He was a leper. Suddenly he's on the outside. And the worse it gets, the more he's going to be pushed out. Now, Zacharias, 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 Zacharias' problem was, he, everybody looked at him and they said, traitor. In fact, in the passage we'll read, they look at him and they go, he's a sinner. He's a sinner. He's a traitor. And so here's this irony. They're both rich, but the wealth isn't working for them. C.S. Lewis wrote a, a sermon, a talk called The Inner Ring. It's about, a, a, he labels it a spiritual problem. It's, it's like a lust. It's this desire to be on the inside. The desire to be in the inner circle with the important people. And, some, and it can take a lot of forms because here's what happens. Some people say, well, you know, I don't care about them. I don't care what people think of me. But then there's something else where they wanna be on the inside. They wanna be on the inner ring of something. People say, oh, sometimes it's education or the lack of education, right? Somebody's very well educated, says, oh, what, is, what does she know? She just, uh, maybe a high school degree. She doesn't know anything. Right? And then what happens opposite, looking at it from the other way. Oh, what does he know? He's got a PhD. I got a PhD from the school of hard knocks. I know way more about him. He probably couldn't fix his car or, you know, fix his toilet. He needs me. Whatever. See, that's what happens. It, it gets us both ways. It makes us think that way. The well, to have wealth or to have the lack of wealth, people look both ways and put down others. People with money take for granted the things they're able to have. People without money resent and envy those things those other people can have. It can happen with employees to employers or vice versa, right? This is why service workers often mock customers behind their backs. And I'm not sitting here talking down to service workers because I was one and I did that, right? I was a doorman at a hotel. All these big, rich, fancy people would come into this really expensive hotel Right? And they go in and they, they get, they'd be getting their luggage out of their trunk. Go, I'll get that for you, you weenie. You know, employers and employees, service workers often mock why? Because they have to serve. And to serve means that someone looks better than them. So you get back at them by pointing out how dumb they are behind their backs. The desire to be on the inside, C.S. Lewis talks about this, to be somebody it will dominate you unless you can conquer the fear of being on the outside. And money says, I can get you in. I can get you in. I have the power to get you in to the good life. 
And we want that. We want that power. Money says, I can give you approval. I can give you comfort. I can give you purpose. I can give you meaning. I can get you, you can have control. I can get you in. But it can't. It doesn't get you real influence. It doesn't get you real love. Those things that we really need. And this first passage we're going to talk about, as we look at these, these men are on the outside despite their wealth. They're almost like both lepers in a way. And they have given in to this delusional power of money and what it will give us. So money owns the heart. Now we're going to talk about grace transforms the heart. And we're going to look at how they meet God. In both cases, they meet God in the opposite way that money teaches about status and power and how they work in the world. It's the opposite way when God works. So first we'll get Naaman, and this is probably a good representation of, of, of how he may have looked. He was an important, this is typical what they would wear at that time, how, the, how somebody who was an officer at least would dress. And so Naaman is in charge of the armies. They they had a foray into the nation of Israel. They, they beat the, the Israel's army. They gathered up slaves. They took crops. They took money. Then they go back to Syria. And one of the, one of the slaves was, a little, was this young girl that became his household servant. And he contracts leper, uh, leprosy. And he becomes a leper. And, this, and he tries everything, right? Everything Syria has to offer, none of it works. And this little girl says to him, Oh, if, oh, there's a man in Israel that God works powerfully through. If you could see him, he would cure you. And he goes, I'm the freaking number two man in all of Syria. I'll go find him. And so he does. He gathers a bunch of men. He gets a bunch of gold. He comes in. He goes straight to the king of Israel, says, where's the guy that can, that can cure me? Can you imagine the king of Israel? They just lost a war with these guys, right? The guy that can cure you? Ah, I don't know. Uh-oh. <laughs> you, you're going to conquer us again? You know, he's, he he's feels like he's walked through a trap. Somebody tells him, hey, there's this, there's this prophet. Go see this prophet. And he comes to the prophet, and he says, I want healing. And here's the passage. And the prophet tells him, go, go dunk in, in the River Jordan seven times. And, and Naaman is P.O.'d. He's very upset about this because this junky river in this junky country. Naaman's servants went to him. This is from 2 Kings 5. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Right? He came with soldiers. He came with his sword. They're saying, if he'd have told you to do something, some great thing, you'd have done it, right? If he'd have said to you, if he'd have said, Go kill a Sith Lord who has the dark saber and bring it back to me, right? Okay, that's a little pretty nerdy. Or this, go and bring me a Cimarill from the crown of Morgath, the enemy of the world. It's still too nerdy. Okay, go and bring me the broomstick of the wicked witch of the West. Okay, yes, there's, <laughs> all right. If he just said something like that, Naaman would have been like, yes, this is a task worthy of me. I am going to do this to earn my healing. That's what he was looking for. That's what he was looking for. He came with all this gold. It, it details all the gold he came with. He came with soldiers. He came with his big sword. He's ready to slay a dragon. He goes to the prophet, tell me what to do. I want to be healed. Please, I'm begging you. Go swimming. 
go dunk your head in the Jordan River seven times. He's like, we got rivers? Did I have to come all this way for that? And so he's like, I'm not, this is stupid. So his servant said, my prophet, my father, if the prophet had told you the same thing, some great thing to do, would not you have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? You see what they're telling him? That's the great thing. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times a man of, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became like that of a young boy or a baby. He got healed. See, they told him, this is it. This is the great thing. His servants are brilliant. His servants are brilliant because they understand what's happening. He doesn't. He's mad. Why? Because he's gotten everything this way in the past. Everything in his life, his status, his position, the money he's got. It's all through competition and achievement, through war and that type of thing. He's been doing great things his whole life. Any idiot can wash in a river. See, here's the problem. He's thinking, what kind of God is this? Whose blessing, whose favor, whose salvation, whose healing can be had no matter who you are? What kind of God is this that anyone can get it from him for nothing? If you can go wash in this river, that means everyone can go wash in this river. If you're a priest or a prostitute, it doesn't matter. You can go dip your head in the river. That's not fair. I've earned this. An inside person or an outside person can do this. What is he saying? You're placing me on equal footing with a coward, and I'm not a coward. You're placing me on equal footing with an immoral person. I'm not an immoral person. You're placing me on equal footing with a failure, and I'm not a failure. I'm a success. What kind of God is this? where it makes no difference who you are or what you have or what is your ability. He's insulted by it. And his servants are brilliant here. And this is the passage. I, I, this is the servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed? He's saying, they're saying, this is the hard thing. They're looking at him. See how hard it is? You're ticked off. It's the hardest thing for you to do because you have to lower yourself to do it. This is the gospel. This is how people's hearts change. The requirement of the gospel is to see that you can't meet the requirement for the gospel. It's a non-requirement requirement, I think. The great thing is to see that you can't do the great thing. And what was keeping Naaman from God was his pride. You can't cure the outer leprosy until you deal with the inner leprosy, he's telling him. And he would not admit it, but he's going to have to. Because before God, your performance doesn't matter. The key thought here, the thing that really blocks God in his life in my life, in your life, is self-centeredness. That's what's creating a blockage. And in many people's lives, well, all it is is simply a desire to be your own savior. Naaman is being confronted with what Paul wrote about. Paul shouts, there's no difference. 
Jew nor Greek, slave or free, man or woman, pagan or religious, there's no difference in God's eyes. Self-centeredness or this kind of self-salvation blocks you from God, whether you're living a moral life or an immoral life. A non-religious person says, I'll live the life my own way. And what are they doing? They're being their own savior. I'll work it out. A religious person oftentimes says, I've done such good things for God. He owes me a good life. I've done good things for people. They owe me respect. What are you doing? You're being your own savior. There's no difference, Paul says. That is the real leprosy that's blocking Naaman. God turns it totally upside down. Salvation works totally different. Money has no effect. And the requirement is to see that you don't meet the requirements. It's not that the good are in and the bad are out. It's not that the humble are in and the proud are out. It's not that the better people are in. It's simply this, people who are willing to do what God wants, willing to admit that they're not one of the better people. So he gets into the water. We saw that. And I really believe this is, this is a conversion experience for him. I think it's because the, the text gives us a clue. He comes out and his skin's like the skin of a baby or a young boy. He's been remade in a sense. It's, it kind of points towards that. A total reversal of everything he has ever known or learned. Totally against his culture. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan River. We read that. And he came out like a young boy. And Naaman and his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all of the world except for Israel. Please now accept a gift from your servant. So he's still thinking that old way. I think he's been changed, but he can't. That's hard to. And the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, the word there is very strong, urged him, he refused. So God, he's being taught something here. We're being taught something here. How does a heart change? It's totally by the grace of God. We don't do it. We don't do it. Now we look at Zacchaeus. All right, we can, we can look at him. Um, here's a picture from a, an old master's painting. Um, and I mean, you know, it's, it's not totally realistic. First of all, everybody there is incredibly white, which would not be true. But uh, you know, you see Jesus because he's got the halo. When I, when I first saw something like that, I said, why does Jesus wear that weird hat all the time? And uh, I didn't really know. And people, somebody told me that's a halo. I was like, oh, do they think everybody saw that? And they're like, no, it's just for the painting, just for the painting. I'm like, oh, okay. Because that would seem like a pretty proud thing for Jesus to do if he just wore him. Just in case you don't know, bring, like that kind of a thing. So there's Jesus. There's, there is uh, Zacchaeus. And, and we know a lot of this story. Here it is in Luke 19. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So we've established something. He's a traitor. People hate him, but he's wealthy because of the way he treats people. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. There it is. Now we know what everyone thinks of him. Right? So Zacchaeus, 
He's not looking for Jesus per se. He sees that Jesus is there. He's probably heard something about it, but he's a smaller guy and there's a big crowd, so he can't get through. Why doesn't he just put, I mean, smaller people can elbow their way up to the front and get in to take a look. Why? Because he's a tax collector. There's a good chance he'll get smacked. He'll get hit. He might end up with a knife in his back from a zealot who hated the tax, especially viscerally. And so he knows, I don't want to get in the middle of a crowd where no one can see what happens to me or someone can't rescue me. So he climbs a tree. So he climbs that, that sycamore tree, right, which we've talked about before when we talked about the accuracy of the New Testament. Where do you find sycamore trees? Southern Africa, except for a little part near Jericho. They were there too. So the accuracy, uh, that's a whole nother message. Okay, so Zacchaeus, how does it work with him? Because it's interesting with these two guys, uh, just a kind of a commentary on how people come to God. Naaman was looking for a healing, but he thought he had to purchase it through good works, money, power, right? Zacchaeus is not looking. He's not looking. He just is interested. He wants to see the spectacle, right? And so two things. He, he had to get up in the tree. He couldn't see. He's short also because people would have given him a hard time, possibly a very uh, dangerous hard time. And so we see something else. We see that he's a sinner. People look at him. They look at him in an exclusionary way. They look down upon him. He's a nobody to them. They hate him. See, he got wealthy collecting taxes. And I'm sure he was hoping that it would get him on the inside, but not with the Jews. He's not on the inside. Probably not with the Romans either. Because even if a traitor's working for you, you don't love them because they're a traitor. And so what does Jesus do here with this man that they say he's a sinner? He goes past through the whole crowd that's clamoring for him. The whole crowd of the good people, that's what they would have thought of themselves as. We're the good people, especially looking at him. Can you imagine in that, in that crowd, everybody, if somebody said, well, are you a sinner? I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, at least I'm not like him. And they point up in the tree. I'm not like him. And then they get religious, right? They get pious. There, but for the grace of God, go I. And they point at him, right? We do that all the time. God, thank you. I'm not like him. And he goes to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus isn't calling for him that we see. He just wanted to see. So here's grace. Grace goes to the one who's not looking for it. Jesus says, hey, I want to get into your life. I want you in my life. He chooses the outsider. He chooses the outsider. If you read the Gospel of Luke, you will see this over and over again, how Jesus responds to outsiders in all the Gospels, but Luke sometimes highlights some of them. He deals, he deals in Luke 7 with a woman who's got a checkered past. He deals with a deranged demoniac. He deals with a political collaborator. He deals with religious people and Samaritans. Jesus goes to everyone. He breaks all the rules. He goes to the sexual outsiders. He goes to the moral outsiders. He goes to the racial outsiders. He goes to the religious outsiders. He goes to outsiders. He seems attracted to them. And they seem attracted to him. This is a key thing for us. Who are the outsiders in our lives? 
Who are the outsiders where we work, where we live? Jesus was attracted to them and they were attracted to him. That strikes me, that convicts me. Who do I go to? Who am I attracted to? Why? Well, I think some of it too is sometimes outsiders are ready. They're ready to change. They know they're outsiders. And that's how salvation works in a completely different way than the world would say it should work. If you want to know if you're a nice moral person just trying to get great things and and trying to get God to do good things for you, or if you want to know if you're a follower of Christ and cross that line into a regenerated life, there's one way to tell. How do you use the word sin and sinner? Religious people who think they're good people tend to point and say, that's a sinner. That's a sinner. Humble people who have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit will say, I'm a sinner. Before I point at anyone else, I'm a sinner. Now, that isn't 100% determines whether you're a Christian or not. But it's a good thing to think about. And how does Jesus use this word sin? He says in, uh, let's see, Luke 11. He says, if you then, he's talking to the disciples. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Your Father in heaven to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to everybody. And that word evil can also be translated sinners. If he, says, he says casually, oh, by the way, you know, you guys, you're such sinners, but you do give good gifts to your kids. You who are evil, he's talking in an offhanded comment, kind of like, well, we all know this is true. Sometimes I get caught up in things that I know I shouldn't get caught up in. You know, sometimes you feel a certain way and you know you shouldn't feel that way. You, feel, you, you know it's wrong. And, and, I, and I worry about the things that I shouldn't worry about. Sometimes it involves, you know, boy, this is self-disclosure. It's, it's, it's a church and, 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 and speaking and teaching. And I always have to remember, God says to me, Bob, today, I want you to teach. I don't care how you look. I don't even care that much how you did. I just want you to teach. I don't care if people are impressed. I don't care if you have approval. This is a hard one for a lot of pastors. I don't care how many people show up. This is what I care about, Bob. Teach the word. It will glorify me. And my word will touch people's hearts. Just do it. Just do it. Don't care about anything else. That's hard sometimes, but I know it's true. Why is it hard? Because I'm a sinner. Because it's just like Jesus said, I'm evil. I, get, I can get wrapped up in the wrong things. And I'm trying, but I still can have that self-centeredness in my heart. That self-centeredness that I know if circumstances maybe were different, I could be a murderer. I know that's true. Sufjan Stevens has a great song. It's, I say it's a great, it's a really, it's, it's a really good, well-done song. It's a horrible song in a sense. It's about John Wayne Gacy. And it's about the people he killed. But he closes it 
by saying, and when I see him, I know I could have done that. I could be John Wayne Gacy. What a powerful thought. What a powerful thought. We all struggle with things, but if we let it go totally out of control, we could go down a dark, dark path. And some of you have, I know. You've told me. And so we have to realize that we're sinners, and it's not about naming other people as sinners because we can do that in a very abusive way. They're doing that right here. Jesus said we're all sinners, but they're looking at him saying, not me, you. They abuse with that word, and it drives people away. Grace drives them in. So how money owns the heart. Grace transforms the heart. And now we're going to see the life change. All right? Now we're going to see the life change. We see this with Naaman. He goes back. He wants, to give, he wants to give the prophet money. The prophet says, you will not do that. And then I will not accept it. Then in verse 17, um, here it is. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. When I bow down at the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Right? And then he, he says, because uh, his point is, I'm taking this dirt with me. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put it down when I bow down. So I bow down on the dirt that is from Israel who serves the one God. All right? he, he does that. He talks about it a little later. And, and the prophet is good with it. Now, let me, this is kind of hard for us to understand. Rimmon was not just a God in Syria. Rimmon was like the state. And so it was, it was a part of being a person who lived there and was a citizen. But this is a really radical thing that he's doing. That even today, I remember one time talking with, with uh, some pastors and a couple of guys who taught at, some, at a seminary, and I brought this up. And they were really troubled with this. He goes into the temple of Rimmon. This is, and I, my first thought was, you don't know about this? You teach? It seems like you should. But the idea is he has to go in. And now he's saying, because I'm cured, I can hold this old man's arm. I hold his arm and, and hold him up. And he says, and then I kneel on the dirt that comes from Israel because I want everyone to know. And everyone sees it put down. I want everyone to know this is who I worship. And he says, I won't give an offering to Rimmon. I won't give, I won't do any of that. But law requires that I escort the king in. I'm going to do that. And interestingly, and what is he trying to do? He's trying to say, how does my faith work? And, and, and we can criticize, I don't know, but the, but the prophet said, go in peace, right? He's trying to integrate his role as a believer in the, he's going to testify to everyone who watches, this dirt comes from Israel. That's where I got healed. That's the God I serve. And he'll kneel on that dirt. It's a very interesting thing. He's trying to figure out, I'm going back to my old job but I'm a believer, and so how can I reach those people? Now, he could say, this is what happens sometimes, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm not going to get with those pagans. They contaminate me. 
I'm not going to hang out at the water cooler. They tell dirty jokes at the water cooler. I don't want to be around those people. He's saying, I want to go reach them. I want to go reach them. I want to turn a place that is evil into a sacred place. And this is how I think I can do it. I'm going to find a way to witness. These guys with this wheelbarrow of dirt, they're going to put it down, and I'm going to kneel on that. I'm going to make money, but I'm not going to serve money. It's no longer my security. I may be successful, but I won't serve success. I don't have to have it. It's not my security. I'm going to go back, but I'm not going to be an idolater anymore. That's what he decides to do. And we can criticize it. People can, can deal. And it is. It's hard. I admit, it's hard for me to, to reconcile that. But it's what he's trying to do. This is one of the things... Um, I'll put in a plug here for, I was involved with, with the crew when I went to the University of Maryland. Um, it was, it was a Campus Crusade for Christ at that time. And I got involved in a couple of big projects they did, uh, things that they were doing. And, and I talked to a guy one time and he had a very interesting, he says, listen, here's, our, here's the deal, Bob. Here's what we do. We try to think of any way possible in this world to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so we will try just about anything to do it. Sometimes it fails. Sometimes it fails spectacularly. But it's because we're trying to reach people for Jesus Christ. That's what this man is doing here. Now, what happens with Zacchaeus, right? Jesus says, come down. He reached the spot. He looked up, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and he, he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this, began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look. Look, Lord, look. Remember when your kids were little and they go, look at me, look at me. Because they were excited about something. That's this. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. I, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, the biblical law on payback is the amount plus a certain percentage, 10% or 20% that can vary, but it's the, you pay them what you cheated them and then you pay a penalty. He's like, no, I'm gonna give them four times what I cheated them. And I'm gonna give half my possessions to the poor, 50%. Now, what's going on here? Because what can happen is oftentimes people go, oh, Bob, now you're telling us to give away all our money. That's, no, no, you're missing the point. Jesus didn't tell him to do anything. He's doing it spontaneously. Jesus didn't say, listen, you know, you're a pretty rich guy. Maybe you can help some of these poor people. He says, no, Lord, look, 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 half, boom, gone, poor. Four times for everybody I've cheated. Four times the amount of everybody I cheated. Now we know why people didn't like him, right? He did cheat them. But see what's happening here? There's a joyfulness here. He undoubtedly, it didn't mean he, he made himself a poor man. He undoubtedly was still pretty well off. But he said, I have changed. And this is the way I'm going to express it in my worship of you. This is how I will express it. If you're, too many times we're looking for rules. We're looking for guidelines, for standards, for amounts. Is it 10%? Is it you know, can it be this? Can it be this? It's just between you and God. 
That's all it was for him, just between him and God. We're looking for rules. And Jesus is saying, no, I, I want to get past those rules. I, we're talking about an adventure here. We're looking for pr principles. And he's saying, no, it's a pilgrimage. Zacchaeus shows that when grace impacts our hearts, we look for ways that go beyond the requirements. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling you for this. I'm calling you for this. Look at me. Remember in, the, in John, we've been talking about that. Jesus says, look at me, look at me. Truly, truly, I say to you, that word, just pay super attention to this. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you on an adventure. Zacchaeus did not act out of guilt. He acted out of the response of the love and the grace that was shown to him by Jesus. He climbed a tree. He climbed a tree, and he ended up getting everything out of it. He got an eye full of Jesus, and he got his grace and he could not help himself. He could not help himself. He said, I must react. Why? Because he saw Jesus. We have these two guys. They both had a plan. Naaman had a very creative plan. He figured this, I'll go in. I'm a great warrior. They'll tell me to do something big. I'll do it. I'll get rewarded with being healed. If that doesn't work, I got gold. And he was told to do something that anyone could do. The poorest person in the world can go dip their head in a river. Zacchaeus, he said, I just want to see what's going on. And Jesus said, today is your day. Today is your day. Jesus is looking for people who will just be willing. Just be willing. People who will be amazed at what he's done and decide, I must live differently. I must live differently. I must change the way I live. This is so foundational. I want to close this real quick. Um, one of my favorite stories is um, of Andrew Carnegie. Andrew Carnegie, an incredibly wealthy, one of the great titans of industry years and years ago. When he was 33, he was very rich. He was well on his way to becoming one of the richest men, maybe the, maybe the richest man in the world. When he's 33, he wrote in his diary, he wrote, I'm going to, I'm changing. Because what happened was Andrew Carnegie was not very well educated. He, he didn't speak well. He couldn't write well. He could hardly read. He had to hire people to read things for him, contracts, whatever, those kind of things. And he said, I'm gonna, I am going to do this. In two years, when I'm 35, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. And I'm going to limit myself to a salary that I will live off of from the rest of my life. And the rest of my money, millions and millions of dollars, is going to go to help people, to educate people the poor, all that kind of thing. And he wrote something. I said, he, he, he said, I, when I go for something, I go for it. And he said, I have been going for money. And he says, if I continue this way, I will become overwhelmed with money and business. And I will spend all my time thinking about how to make more money as quickly as possible. And it will degrade me beyond hope of recovery. I will become something I hate to be. And so he said, I'll do this, 35. You know what happened? He turned 35. It was like 36. He turned 36 and 37 and 47 and 57. He never did it. He never did it. At the end of his life, 
he suddenly was overwhelmed by the fact that he had not gone through with what he said his very soul was in peril of. And he started a foundation that builds libraries and all these things as kind of a last hope, last gasp at maybe saving himself. God may be impressing some of us, you, me, right now, about some things that we should do. And we say, yes, I will. Okay, um, next week, next month, next year, next 10 years. Wait till the kids are grown. And then I'll, wait, till the, wait, wait, wait. And then at the end of our life, we go, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. He doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. Well, I'm kind of at that end, but anyway, soon. He doesn't want that for us. He wants us to impact people's lives right now for eternity. We are being called to do that. We look at Naaman, his life changed. And he said, how can I reach the people I live with? We look at Zacchaeus and his life was changed. And he said, how can I give back? How can I impact these people? I'm gonna impact these people for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these two men the incredibly different way you reach their hearts, but that you reach their hearts. And Lord, you, this is what you're about. This is what you do. You change hearts. You reach inside. You create something new. And we're changed from the inside out. Lord, as followers of Jesus Christ, as believers in Jesus Christ, help us to be open. Just like Naaman was, finally. Just like Zacchaeus was. Lord, help us not to be Andrew Carnegie and at the end of our life have this deep regret of not doing what we knew we should do. And so now, Lord, we ask that you would work, that your Holy Spirit would strengthen and empower us so that we could become more like Jesus, impact our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our families. And Lord, as we do this, we give you the praise. We give you the glory because you are a good God. In Jesus' name, amen.